Binge Mode Star Wars is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender when you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. Find one today at statefarm.com. Today's show is also brought to you by Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, the new action-adventure game from Respawn Entertainment, taking place between Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, and Star Wars, A New Hope. Players will wield a lightsaber, hone their force powers, and adventure across the galaxy in hopes of rebuilding the Jedi Order. Become a Jedi in Star Wars. Star Wars! Jedi Fallen Order. Available now on Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Rated T for T. Was it? Zero to Mayfeld. Zero to Mayfeld. What? I've detected a podcast called Binge Mode that contains both adult contents and spoilers. You have approximately 20 minutes. You only need five. And now, Binge Mode. Let's go, let's go. Move, 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 move. What is that? <laughs> you get lonely up here, buddy? Huh? Wait a minute. Did you two make that? Huh? What is it, like a pet or something? Yeah, something like that. Didn't take you for the type. Maybe that code of yours has made you soft. Welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars. Yes. Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, (laughs) Editor-in-Chief of TheRinger.com. What a great website. Oh, it's great. Joining me today, now that he's finished planning a Mandalorian Billions crossover event with Jock Jeffcoat himself. Jock Jeffcoat. It's a Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Clancy Brown. Pull my federal funding and have me investigated by the Department of Justice. Mal? Yeah. So this is Binge Mode Star Wars, Uh-oh. where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe from the Skywalker saga films to the anthology films to the Mandalorian, mm. plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away, all leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker on December 20th. Please make the journey to the Mandalore system with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Stitcher. Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please rate and review us and give us those five-star ratings, or we will send Mayfeld and his weird little robot pistol arm after you. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, Uh, and which is an excellent place to write your Mando Gian fanfic. Maybe hungry. Gian famous foods. Great chain in New York. Oh, wonderful. And please head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch, though that won't help Davin now. Sweet Davin. More on Davin to come. Mm-hmm. Last time on Binge Mode, we explored how redemption shapes Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Good. 
Good, good. <laughs> and today, we're diving deep. Deep! Into the Mandalorian Chapter 6, The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. As always, spoiler warning. While we know nothing about the future of this show, we will be going deep on details deep. from this episode of The Mandalorian and the entire Star Wars saga to date. Take an official canon and legends hashtag not canon into account. So put a seatbelt on sweet little baby Yoda, please. Come on. Please. Can we do that, please? Buckle him in. This is God. We can't keep doing this. Because it's time to head to New Republic Prison. Mal, is that you under that bucket? I didn't really know if I'd ever see you in these parts again. Since you're here, let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happens in the sixth episode of The Mandalorian by heading to a podcast studio far, far away and queuing up the opening crawl. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Razorcrest docks on a small space station run by Mando's ex-associate, Ranzar Ran. Mando has come in search of some off-the-books work. As usual, he's not liquid enough. He's maxed out his credit cards. Didn't set up his Apple Pay. He overpaid for repairs on his (laughs) ship. It's just irresponsible when you're already short of cash. (laughs) Word that Mando had a falling out with the guild has reached even ran. Concerning. His station is a base for crews running jobs that have just one rule. No questions asked. Rand has a five-man job. Spring an associate of his from a New Republic transport ship, but only four members. Mando, if he accepts, would round out the crew. Rand, however, needs Mando's ship to be part of the deal. The leader of the crew? Mayfeld. Bilber, a human ex-imperial sharpshooter? Not a stormtrooper, how dare you? Wise ass! His name may be Mayfeld and not Mayfield, but he gets into just as many feuds as Baker Mayfield, that's for sure. He introduces Mando to the rest of the crew. There's Berg, a burly Deveronian. Zero, a droid who immediately has gone to the top of the binge mode shit list after pursuing and attempting to murder Baby Yoda. Awful. Horrifying. He will be flying the Razor Crest and in charge of the computers. And then there's Xion, a knife-wielding Twi'lek. Xion and Mando, we learn right away, have some kind of a history. And I think that some kind is the fuck each other with a helmet on kind. That's just a weird thing to do. During the flight, (laughs) Mayfeld and his crew bust Mando's balls. Berg tries to take off Mando's helmet, leading to a brief skirmish, during which the door to little baby Yoda's sleeping hold pops open and he's standing there he on the edge of his little cot. So he's like, what's going on out here? He's so precious. I hear stuff. He's listening to the adults. Mayfeld picks up the child. This awful, is not acceptable. Leading to a few tense moments. This is not acceptable. Suddenly Zero brings the ship out of hyperspace and banks hard toward the target ship. Everyone is thrown around and Mayfeld drops little baby Yoda. Awful! Who rolls twice. He rolls on the floor after being dropped. Jason, I screamed. What are we doing? Why is this happening? I honestly, I'm like, that's unacceptable. Why? Don't do that. (laughs) You told everyone involved with the show that they had one. Come on. Warning. And I think now in hindsight, we were too specific that that was about putting him in the crosshairs. We need to broaden this. 
Mando puts him back in the sleeping hold. Good. That worked well the first time. Jesus. What are we doing, people? It's distressing. The crew make their way through the hatch. Same kind of hatches on the Millennium Falcon. Mm. Down onto the New Republic prison ship, and they head toward the control room, guided by Zero, who has hacked into the system from the Razor Crest. A group of guard droids halt their progress, and Mando, who hates droids, hates them, takes them out with pleasure, giving the motley team and us quite a good look at his elite skills. I have to say, slicing a droid's metal leg with a vibroblade was really something. That was actually really cool. At the control room, they encounter a new Republican crew member. He threatens them with a tracking beacon. If the beacon is triggered, fighter ships from the New Republic will home in on their position and take them out. A standoff ensues as Mando tries to prevent Mayfeld from killing the man. Eventually, Gian kills him with a thrown dagger. Unfortunately, in death, the crewmen triggered the beacon. They have 20 minutes until the X-Wings arrive. No! For Dad, more on him in the eight. Stay tuned. Very tough, very tough ending for my guy who's like, this is going to be a nice, quiet trip. Wait, what? (laughs) They reach the target cell, and the prisoner, turns out, is another Twi'lek. Quinn, Shion's brother. And apparently on a previous job, Mando left Quinn behind. This will prove to be hugely relevant. (laughs) Because suddenly, Berg pushes Mando right into the cell and the gleeful team of mercenaries split. You deserve this, Xi'an says. This was the plan. On the crest, Zero reassembles Grief Karga's uh, old hollow message to Mando. Karga is still fucking causing trouble. Fucking, also, just like clear your cash, Mando. Know, this is bad. Meanwhile, Mando manages to escape the cell. Zero warns Mayfeld, Berg, Xi'an, and Quinn. Then the lights on the ship go out and the pressure door starts sliding shut, separating the mercenaries. Communications go down, and Zero can no longer contact the team. Great look at Mando's tech savvy there. The sudden and absolutely darling appearance of Baby Yoda in the cockpit distracts Zero. He picks up his blaster, but LBY, sensing a foe, disappears. I love it. Zero goes to look for him, and a really uh, high-tension, high-stress, but also because his Baby Yoda just absolutely precious game of high-stakes life-and-death hide-and-seek ensues. In the control room, meanwhile, Mando watches the mercenary on CCTV. Big Brother and Mando are always watching. He picks up the Republic beacon from Davin, pockets it for later use. A hunt commences on both the crest and the prison ship. Zero is hunting little baby Yoda, and Mando is hunting the mercenaries, though they think it's the other way around. One by one, he takes them down and locks them in a cell. Okay. He, d- he catches up to Quinn just as the Twi'lek is about to board the crest, and he decides to take him in to Ran alive. That whole sequence is pretty thrilling. Mm-hmm. Zero finally finds Baby Yoda back in his little bedroom no. where he went for safety, which is actually no. like so touching. And in a truly electrifying moment, Yodes raises his hand. He's about to do it. He's about to do the damn thing. Readies to use the force to defend himself in a true moment of mortal peril. When Mando, dad, comes home just in time and shoots the droid dead. Baby Yoda looks at his hand like, wait, Did what? I do that? Oh, Did I do that? amazing. Mando delivers Quinn to Ran and gets paid. But as soon as he pushes off, 
Ran triggers the next part of the plan, the contingency part of the plan, presumably. Launch a gunship to try to shoot Mando out of the sky. But then, X-Wings appear to light up Ran's garage with laser fire. Because Mando delivered something else, too. The tracking beacon. Smart for once, Mando. (laughs) On the crest, Mando unscrews the little metal ball. Gives it to LBY to play with. And he says, cryptically, Mm -hmm. Told you this was a bad idea. What could that mean? (laughs) Jason. Yeah. Let's just do this job. We get in, we get out. You don't have to see our faces anymore. Sounds fucking great. (laughs) And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is the shadow of the past. There's not a huge shadow of the past in a macro sense when it comes to what the Mandalorian is and what we expect it to be. But six episodes in, with only two more to go in the first season, we have entered into something of a pattern. Yes. Something of a formula has emerged in the last three episodes since we and Mando and LBY fled Navarro at the end of chapter three. Every week, we open on a new planet or in a new space station, some new locale. It's essentially a bottle episode every week. Mission of the week. Mission of the week, adventure of the week. Mando and little baby Yoda going from place to place, getting into trouble. This episode, I think, is different from some of the other ones. I, I, I would say it's probably the, up there with the premiere as one of the best episodes of the season because it did, like, normal TV stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it created suspense by separating Mando and little baby Yoda and then made us worry about little baby Yoda while Mando was doing his own thing. And then we understood, like, what the mission was. We had to reacquire this Twi'lek prisoner and then deliver him to Ran. Um, I think all of those things are part of that formula. The separation is something that we've seen a couple weeks in a row now. There's something unfolding that's going to make us fear for baby Yoda's safety. Often, Mando is in some way directly and maddeningly responsible for putting him in that position of harm, even while, in parallel fashion, he is showing sincere affection for him and a desire to protect him. Those are always intertwined and kind of confusing, but also relatable fashion. We get to see Mando's heart, but also his questionable judgment. Often there's like a babysitter, a new caretaker, either somebody who we and Mando trust, like Omera and Sorgan, Pelly. Pelly. This week, though, zero. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's kind of Mayfeld for a little bit. With with Mando having to lie when Mayfeld is like, what, is that a pet? Yes, exactly. And then the episode concludes after everything wraps up in not-so-tidy fashion with a well-timed escape, Mm -hmm. fleeing to a destination unknown, and setting us up to basically rinse and repeat. So the question is, now that we have these sort of two phases of the season so far, where phase one was basically get the assignment get the asset, the child, bring them back, and then decide you want to keep them and save them. Mm -hmm. And then now this mission of the week episodic style is, is there going to be a way to blend those two things together moving forward so that the actual, it seems, approach and style of the show, which is this week-to-week variance, genre blending and shifting, different directors, different screenwriters— can meld with the overarching plot in a way that allows us to get answers to some of these questions. So that brings us to this episode and kind of the vibe of it. This episode was directed by Rick Famuyiwa, 
written by Christopher Yost and Famuia. Longest episode of the season, 43 minutes total runtime with about 37 and a half minutes of actual episodes. As we stated, one of the best episodes of the season. Really fun. Super fun. I loved Great, it. Well, really well paced. Um, yes. I love a meeting the team kind of episode. Mm-hmm. You know, it has like the elements of a heist, that kind of getting the crew together. Everyone has a very specific role and it's this very colorful cast of characters. Yes. And it is thrilling to meet a character whenever we meet characters who know of Mando mm-hmm. from before we met him. Yes. And it is a episode laden with Easter eggs, little references, the moment when uh, when Berg roars at the mm-hmm. mouse droid, which is very reminiscent of Chewbacca on in A New Hope, various other ones like that, but not in the kind of like, here we are in Tatooine, look at all the same mm-hmm. things kind of way. Right. Really a fun episode for the Star Wars fan. Excellent casting. Yes. Let me just say it right now. Natalia Tenna, who we of course know as Osha and Game right. of Thrones and, and Tonks. Tonks. Let's get more of her. She's stuff. great. She's elite. We're, she just always has such a great energy and a really fun spin on her character. Everybody who was in this episode seemed to be having a lot of fun mm-hmm. being in an episode of The Mandalorian and being in Star Wars. We're going to we're going to talk more today in the 8 about the cameos in this episode in particular because even by The Mandalorian's robust season 1 standard, this was really something in the guest star and cameo department. Absolutely. And then I obviously agree with you completely in terms of how fun and enjoyable the overall episode was. We're going to get to some of the things that made us feel a little less good in a minute. But in general, even despite the, oh, I want more of X or why is Y happening questions and thoughts that you had, it was just pretty riveting television to watch for 37-ish minutes. And you really were riveted by the pace and the action and that chemistry that everybody on screen had. I think the other thing that we appreciated about it is that it got us a little bit closer to that, quote, darker, freakier side of Star Wars that Jon Favreau routinely teased in the run-up to the show launching. This was a talking point. Absolutely. In trying to explain when you couldn't really say much specific about what The Mandalorian was going to be or what it was going to feature to give people a sense of what the experience was going to be like. And there was a lot in this episode that was weird, but in a good way. And there was a lot that was dark, violent. 100% agreed, and it was really fun like that. I think about, again, Natalia Tena's depiction of Gian was full of these really strange character turns, like uh, the way she would, like, almost in a cat-like way hiss Uh at times, and it was really affecting and kind of, like, strangely vibrant. The sequence where... After Mando has escaped mm-hmm. from the prison cell that they've put him in, and he is pursuing each of the marks, yeah. this inversion of hunter and prey, the score, the music yeah. in that sequence, the cinematography, the set treatment, the strobe lights, turning yeah. this white, pristine, sprawling New Republic clean space that makes you think of, even though you're in a prison, yeah. the future and control into this bathing red light and this like complete genre shift within this episode because we have these genre shifts week to week but then I'm not comparing this to an episode of season 8 of Game of Thrones (laughs) but it had a little bit of a similarity to The Long Night where 
Yeah. You were switching genres within the course of the episode. So you have obviously a prison break, a right. heist, but then that sequence when Mando is pursuing Mayfeld that and the strobe so cool. lights are popping in and then it and goes he's dark different, and he's advancing yeah. further and you don't know where he is. That's a horror movie it at is that a, point. A horror movie. And there's a great little move to it too where he gets close. Mayfeld senses him and then turns and then he's not there, but then he's behind Mayfeld and again. Says, yeah. No. Yeah. And also what is, of course, seeing a hallway bathed in red light in Star Wars make you think of Vader approaching at the end of Rogue One and absolutely annihilating everybody in his past. So there were subtle callbacks like that, too, to other things in the Star Wars universe that kind of just by the very definition of what they are going to make your heart beat. This episode gave us some really fun hints about the Mandalorian's past, which is Something that you really find yourself, at least I found myself, really like hungry for when yes. they appeared. I'm like, oh, this is exciting. Definitely. Let's hear more about this. We'll go through those kind of buckets of Mando's yeah. history more shortly. But it, it was in an episode that in many ways lacked, again, like last week, kind of traditional forward momentum in terms of plot and information download, subtle things like that, mm. either reinforced or in some way enhanced how we understand the central character. And then we got a little bit of that with Baby Yoda too, in the sense that one of the things we've talked about so much the last few weeks was, well, is Baby Yoda going to try to use the Force again? Has Baby Yoda Clearly. tried to use the Force before ever? And this was the first time that we returned to that. And we're going to talk about that more in a few minutes too. But one of the things that was so fun about it was the inversion between chapter two and chapter six here of which of the primary characters was a little bit confused by what had happened mm. there. Mando in chapter two is the one saying, what? Yeah. What? What was that? What was that? What was and that? then to see Baby Yoda look at his hand when Mando it, is the one who comes to save him, positioning their partnership in this way where they are rescuing each other and there's still a lot of mystery and a desire to know more and tons of intrigue injected into all of it but also these parallels. Mm. Building shared history really quickly, even though we haven't had a lot of time together, was very cool. Yeah, it is quite fascinating to see or, or to just consider uh, the possibility that whatever species little baby Yoda is, and Yoda belonged to as Pumpkin. well, they seem to have an instinctive and uncommonly instinctive ability to wield the Force and to sense danger around them. Yes. So— while we're on the topic of Baby Yoda, that is one of the only complaints about the episode. Mm -hmm. Just not enough, Baby Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> this gets back to your is Baby Yoda too cute take from the beginning of the season. It's, it's a, he's a powerful, an overpowering presence at times in this show. When you presented that yeah. right here on Benjamin Star Wars, I was, you know, offended and horrified just by the, <laughs> the fact that those words could leave your mouth in that yeah. order. But... As we move forward yeah. on this journey, I find that, you know, again, I had a lot of fun watching the parts of this episode that that baby Yoda wasn't in. Yeah. It was sacrilege to say it out loud, but it's yeah. true. It was it was really compelling TV. Every minute of it, though, I was thinking about him yeah. and wondering where he was and yes. if he was okay. Is he okay? What's and he doing? Like, it's, it's just the only thing that I sincerely care about. It's going to be really interesting going forward to see how— I love him. To see how this show handles— violence in the presence of, because obviously yes, when well, Mando is off alone, that is when we see the most violent action-based scenes. It is extremely troubling to see little baby Yoda in the presence of that kind of stuff. So is that an obstacle going forward? I, I honestly yes. don't know. He's consistently 
either directly in peril or yeah. witnessing violence unfolding. I mean, even though he was thankfully okay at the end of this episode. His eyes go wide and his like— he's, he's When like, he sees yeah. Zero obliterated right in front of him, he has a sense clearly of the fact that he is Zero's target before that. And he surely knows that the person who picked him up when Mayfeld uh, scooped him up is not a person who is his best interest of course. At, at heart or is even like a, a warm and caring person. We're a week removed, an yeah. episode removed from him— being held at gunpoint in Toro's hands. Yeah. he The episode before that was while he was held in loving arms, he was still at a village under attack by Clatuinians yeah. and an Imperial walker. And the episode before that, he had been experimented on by yeah. Dr. Pershing and was then rescued by Mando and they had to flee through a, a battle in yeah. the streets of Navarra. <laughs> He had to use the force the episode before that to prevent a mudhorn from trouble. killing them. We've got Jawa sandcrawler <laughs> chases. We've got Trandoshan attacks. He was in the bunker in the first place, which we don't know anything about. The first moment he had with Mando is watching Mando shoot IG-11 in the fucking head. This is their life together. It's defined by silver baubles and warm little blanket burritos in a cot room, it's a, but it's also defined by violence and terror and a, a forced nomadic existence. It's an issue. And... <laughs> I'm worried! And... I am it, concerned! It, per, that screed that you just went in on that I absolutely agree with ties in perfectly to, I think, what we both agree is one of the things that feels like it's lacking from the show, which is a lack of kind of like overarching A-plot, some overarching structure. Yes. Mando, you were in charge of this wonderful, beautiful, little, powerful little life that is so cute. So cute. He's almost been killed numerous times. In order for you to work, you have to lock him in a sleeping hold, right? (laughs) If it was me, I'd be thinking, okay, we can't do this again. We got to figure something out. Got to make a few changes. Do I go back to Cara Dune and do I be like, listen, I know you don't want to team up, but like what— how can I make this work for you? Mm-hmm. Because like I need someone to be with the kid when I'm off doing something. And maybe like we reverse that and yeah, I stay with the kid like, and you go. Yeah, she would be like, you. I'm not you babysitting. Yeah. But, I need, but somebody needs to watch him right. at, all the time. He should get Kara and Omera and yes, Winsa. Like, what is the covert doing? That That's another thing that it's confusing to me. It's like uh-huh. your people has been have been hounded to the edge of extinction. Right. What's their plan? Right. Is it just to hide in different planets? Right. Are they looking to take back their planet? Are they looking to kind of like grow their numbers? Are they looking to rearm? Are they looking for revenge? Are uh-huh. they are they being hunted? Right. What are they up to and what are their goals and what are their fears? And how is Mando involved in that? He's obviously so dedicated to the Mandalorian culture and their ways. This is the way. But how is he furthering their goals, if at all? Especially if he's not able to bring home the Beskar or the Calamari Flan anymore. And I think that we are just kind of operating on an assumption here. Mm -hmm. And that's true for a lot of his decision making. We are assuming, or I am assuming at least, that he has not gone back to find the covert or made contact with any, the armorer, Paz, any members of the covert because he thinks that doing so would put them in danger and mm-hmm. that the the paramount objective, as you're noting, is presumably to not only sustain, but to facilitate growth. Right. Some sort of 
reestablishment of right. some, the some, tribe and the culture. Some kind of security. Right. And it, LBY and Mando are both targets. But we literally don't know if he even knows where they are. Yeah. Could he find them if they want to? Do they have a way of communicating with each other? If they have a way of communicating with each other, is that something that other people could then track mm-hmm. or tap into in some way? I mean, a large part of this very episode hinges on basically hacking a system with a ship. We've seen in almost every episode so far, tracking fobs come into play. You know, they're on the grid, but can they find other people? Yeah. Who's on their grid? And what about Dr. Pershing and it's the client? Great, that's a great one. It, is, does Mando, that's how this all started. Are, are they on Mando's radar at all? Is he at all curious about what they wanted little baby Yoda for and what his purpose might be beyond, oh, they were running some experiments on him, obviously, but what were those about? Why? why? Is he thinking about that? Is he thinking about either seeking them out or finding it or investigating on his own to Mm -hmm. find out, you know, around the, pick around the edges and find out what they might have been up to? It feels like those kind of strings, Mm -hmm. the covert, Dr. Pershing and the client, should be things that are woven throughout the episodes to give this kind of like adventure of the week, mission of the week format something to hang on. Right. And we only have two episodes left Mm -hmm. in season one. We haven't seen Moff Gideon yet. Have not seen Moff Gideon. It is, it just has to happen in episode seven. Yep. I think we would agree that the other thing that has to happen is Karga coming back into the show. Yep. Somewhere in the next two episodes, seven or eight. We still don't know, of course— who the spur-wearing, cape-wearing character in the cliffhanger in episode five was. A lot of threads to return to. Now, of course, we're not going to get definitive answers to all of those things. We're not going to necessarily find out everything about Baby Yoda or about what the client and Pershing, who presumably report up to Gideon, want what the Imperial Remnant is up to. Is all of this leading toward the rise of the First Order? We're not going to get all those questions in season one. They're already making season two. But the point is that those players have to come back into the show and, crucially, that we have to gain more access to how Mando is thinking about those I questions. I think that's that's an absolutely crucial point. We were talking before we went on air just about how little, little to no window we have into the re- interactions between Mando and little baby Yoda. When yes. he says that line at the end of the episode, I told you this was a bad idea. <sighs> What is that in reference? Did did little baby Yoda legitimately <laughs> communicate this idea to him? Right. <laughs> is this a joke based on something else? Is he even if even if give me a, some context to understand this? Right. Even if he's just speaking and yeah. not getting much other than coos and reply, is he actually saying, "Well, here's what I'm thinking." Yeah. I want exactly. you to know that this is my plan. You right. know, how are they passing the time together? We don't know. Like, what yeah, are their what are they changes do? like? Yeah. Is Mando? actually attempting to even process his own thoughts and a plan? Or is he just living job to job? And is he, he knows that's not sustainable. Yeah. But does he have a sense of what the next phase of this looks like? We don't know. So let's get into the plot of the episode a little bit more. I'll start with Baby Yoda before we get to Mando and all of the ghosts of his past. As we said, not enough Baby Yoda on this episode. Just not enough. He needs more screen time. He just needs more. He's a star. I can see his his agent right now is like, listen. (laughs) Listen, uh, Dave, John, 
He's just got to be in it more. He's got to be in it more. You sign him. Uh, you sign him up. He's blowing up right now. He's the hottest star in America, internationally. Everybody wants him. I can't keep him in his trailer. This guy. They, well, he want interviews in French. They got interviews in Urdu. They got. They want him at, on Ellen. I can't can't keep him in one place. So you got to put him on. He's on you got to rewrite keep... the script. Whatever it is, you got to cut out the uh, Yoda Yodelarian. Whatever it is. Yodelarian. <laughs> Oh my God! He's on that rookie contract, but they need the extension He's immediately. Up. Immediately, skip arbitration. He's blowing up. <laughs> you know what you got? <laughs> we have already talked about how our first exposure to him in this episode is seeing yes. him in peril when Mayfeld is holding him. But but let's let's dive into the nature of that exchange mm-hmm. a bit more. Here is how this unfolds. He is in his sleeping quarters, and. The door opens during the scuffle between Berg and Mando. And Mayfeld says, what is that? Like a pet or something? Awful. Like, and Mando, I mean, fuck you, dude. He's fucking asshole. It's where, first of all, it's wearing little clothes. It's wearing, like, it's got a little cloak on. I mean, listen, pets are obviously incredibly important. But he said it in dismissive fashion. It's a baby, you dumbass. 50-year-old baby. He's 50. fucking respect. He's 50. <laughs> And Mando, who, again, this is one of the cool moments in the show where even though you can't see his facial expression, you can sense his response and his emotion yeah, from gets very terse. the body language, the positioning, yeah. the terse nature of his speech. He says, yeah, something like that, because, of course, he doesn't want to tell them anything. And then Shion says, didn't take you for the type. Maybe that code of yours has made you soft. So all of this is unfolding quickly. Again, this is a heist episode. Yes. They are literally going to be on the clock for the second half of the episode. But when Baby Yoda hits the deck here, after the hyperspace exit and Mayfield dropping him, Mando does go to scoop him up, which was an improvement, I suppose, on Pelly being the one to lift him last week. He does like a little plank over him to like make sure that I guess nobody else or anything else falls on him and then he scoops him up. But here's what I need. Yes. I need like nine and a half minutes of him curling up in bed with him. Are you cradling him? How about a, are you okay? Nuzzling him, asking him if he's okay. How about that? Giving him some bone broth, checking for bruises. That's the thing. Can we look at him? Can we just, let me just make sure like he didn't break his little finger. Rub or, his like, cheek. Hurt his little wrist. Anything. Anything. Come on. Uh, <laughs> when Mando is out on his mission, well, Baby Yoda again shows his curiosity. What's going on this. in the cockpit? The spirit he has. Yeah, he's like, I wonder what's going on in this cockpit. I want to go see my friend. Oh, he's, oh, who are you? He's an explorer. He's absolutely a little he explorer. He does not want to stay put in there. And Mando knows that. And that is the thing. Even when they were on Sorgan, well before there was any reason to believe this would be a stressful situation, which again, is not the case here. That's they right. are literally Remember he in said- a gang of mercenaries and B... What at least on a what, fucking prison transport in a gang of mercenaries, and at least one of the members of this mercenary gang hates you. At least one, and it turns out more. And more, it turns out more. But even <laughs> on this beautiful, lush planet of Sorgan, when he said to him, "Stay put," right, he Baby did, Yoda refused. didn't want to do that. Refused to do he it. Doesn't want to be alone. He and you know he's stay, mobile. He didn't stay in the Razor Crest. Didn't stay in the didn't on Tatooine. In, didn't stay in the cradle. Early on in their relationship, popping out of the cradle, walking over, he wants to move. He wants to groove. He's very curious. 
and he's able to walk around the world and he wants to engage with it. And I must, you have to imagine as a force sensitive, he yes. perceives the world around him in a, in a very different way. And to be all of a sudden on the ship that he has experience with, but all of a sudden with a droid, not an organic, right. that must have been very confusing and very strange to him. And clearly drew him to the cockpit because he wanted to see what was going on. Remember when in chapter three, Mando takes him to the client's lair yeah. and the gatekeeper droid, that little eyeball-like thing pops out. Remember Baby Yoda's face yeah. in that moment. Everything is new and interesting to him. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the way that he clearly is sensing things. Yeah. One of the things that was so fascinating in this sequence, again, even in his very limited screen time, is that his curiosity, his desire to explore is what brings him to the cockpit to check out yeah. Zero, to scope him out. But Zero, who has identified Cargo's hologram, right. has something, processed it, watched it, knows that something is, as he says, curious yeah. here. By the time he turns around to reach for his gun and pivots back, yeah. Baby Yoda has bounced. Yeah, Baby Yoda's is like, no, 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 this is, this is, something's wrong here. I'm out. He can sense it. And yes. the ensuing sequence, again, it is very distressing that he is in a position where he needs to hide. I want to be clear about that. But it is just really, really precious and really interesting to see how hyper aware he is. So aware. He knows that this is dangerous. When he ducks into the, the cargo bay, there's this shot of him. There are a couple shots of him. As Zero is exploring with his gun in his hand, looking, peeking, is he in the is he in the armory? Is he here? <laughs> we see Baby Yoda peek out from around this crate that he's hiding behind, and his eyes are wide. There's even a moment where, if you're watching this with subtitles, as we do, you know what? What have his subtitles been so far? We get cooing, cooing. Yeah. The cry, yeah. the child coos. We've gotten a couple babbles. We got a new one here as he pulled. Back when he saw that Zero was clearly hunting him, pursuing him, we got gasps. And we heard this little gasp from him. He, all of this stimuli is new to him, but he is he is able to process it so expertly. And the way I just think, you know, we were making fun of the little cot room yeah. last episode and how like it's a little upsetting to see this little loaf of bread basically stuffed into a bread basket yeah. and the door closed. But I thought it was incredibly touching that he sought that out he as went, shelter. The comfort of that place it went is right back to, to it, yes. And you hear the door close and Zero turn around to look to see where he is. And you know, you know that Baby Yoda made a move deliberately to go back to his room. That's right. He went to his room. Right. And then Zero eventually locates him Fucking there. And we get that moment where little Baby Yoda, sensing the peril of yes. that moment— instinctively, we have to imagine, and certainly from his reaction to yes. what happens next, we can assume it's instinctively, raises his hand yes. as if to call on the force, whether to repel uh -huh. Zero or to do something. Right, we don't know what force we, power he We have no idea what instinctive power he's about to call upon. I just love when the door opens, just that very first shot of him, like, standing at the ready. Yeah. And he... It's actually an amazing thing because he... He looks so small, yeah. but also so powerful. Yeah. He looks so forceful. You're terrified for him, but you hope and really at some level know, both because of obvious plot armor and because yeah. of this ability that they've established for him, 
that it, something miraculous is going it, to unfold. And, and it's re, that's reinforced by the way that the score changes, this mystical quality mm-hmm. of the music. And you can feel it rising. And, you th- and then, there, and of course, Mando uh, shoots Zero from behind. I, I have to say. What is Mando thinking there in terms of like the potential ricochet of a bullet or metal? Again, I I am a little worried about that. That's another thing where it's like, can we angle off? Can we angle off to the side of of him and shoot him in the side of him? Why are we shooting in the direction of the child? That was concerning. (laughs) Dramatically effective, ultimately. Because we just see the explosion from the front and then we see Baby Yoda's response. But go to the side and shoot him in the side of the head. Come on. Baby Yoda's response to this is to this is, stare, a, this is amazing. stare in wonder in his own hand as if to say, clearly, as if to say, oh, did I, is that what did I did? Did I do that? Did I do that? Or, is that what I did? I didn't do that. Right. So is it because I couldn't? Like, I did find myself wondering a bit, and not a lot of time passes. You know, he basically, the mechanics of it, he raises his hand, he closes his eyes. The yeah. eye close, I find, yeah. like... I don't know. It's I'm I basically never interested in watching a pitcher's windup or a quarterback's <laughs> delivery or anything ever again. I just want to watch Baby Yoda raise his arm and close his eyes. It's the most fascinating thing to me. Yeah, his mouth hangs open a little bit. He's he's readying. Yeah. But a few seconds pass. Definitely a few seconds pass. And I found myself wondering, did he think that something should have happened and right. it didn't? Right. Is there a chance? Because again, we haven't seen him use the force since episode two. And in episode three, he's experimented on. Is there a chance that something happened in Dr. Pershing's lab that has altered his ability to use the Force? It's obviously too soon for us to say. I certainly hope that's not true. But I don't know. The way that he looks at his hand is so it's remarkable. His, it's so cute. He just wants to learn about himself and the world. You know, he's he's discovering everything, too. Remember Luke learning to be a Jedi? Like, this is really no different. <laughs> I, I, I will say, you know, we worry about the stresses put on little baby Yoda and the, you know— What's ultimately the necessity to put him in some kind of peril on a regular basis. I mean, that's terrible. You want to know why this episode worked? It worked because little baby Yoda was in peril for much of it. And and we're hoping that Mando could have gotten back to him in time to to allay that peril. I know. Um, But one thing that does alter that formula a little bit is the fact that from what we've seen, we can certainly imply that little baby Yoda is able to discern friend from foe. Yes. He is sensitive in that way. Yes. He can read people in that way. Quickly, too. Yes. Quickly, too. You know, he he knows that the mud horn means them harm. Certainly. He, even though he didn't use the force in the client in Dr. Pershing's lab, he cried. He knew that he was heading into a situation that was bad for him. Yeah. Similarly, he recognizes that the Krill villagers right away are friends. Yeah. He wants to go out to play, to wander around with them, to Feels enjoy comfortable his time to, with them. to eat a frog in front of them until they, <laughs> until until they, they shamed him. Shame him. <laughs> knew that knew that Pelly could yeah. be trusted, yeah. and then immediately with Zero, really immediately, immediately knows right away. that he means bad business. It's tremendous. I, I hope that he, at some point in time, can know peace, though I think you're right that the heart of the show yeah. is, is this— absence of peace yes. and the presence of threats that are going to draw out more of his powers, put them in a situation where their relationship is evolving through the fact that they have to respond to those threats. But it's it's very stressful and upsetting. Return me, Riddle. After word from our sponsors. Binge about Star Wars is presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? The helpful folks at State Farm do. 
like a fender bender when you're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home, making off with your new flat screen TV, or your inmate. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Today's show is also brought to you by the Google Assistant. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car at home and everywhere you take your phone. You can ask your Google Assistant to help with routines throughout your day. Say one command and the Assistant can do multiple things. For instance, once you've set up a morning routine in the Google Assistant app, you can just say, hey, Google, good morning. And the Assistant can take your phone off silent, adjust compatible lights and thermostats, tell you about today's weather, your commute, and what's on your calendar, and then play music or news or even this podcast right where you left off. A little help, hands-free. Just say, hey, Google, to get started. And now back to Minge Mode. What about Mando? What about Dad? What about Mm -hmm. Pops? Because it's quite an episode for him in terms of the action that he takes in the presence, what it makes us think about how we'll plan in the future, but really mostly what we learn in fairly, fairly subtle fashion, not yeah. not always subtle, but fairly subtle fashion about his past because he's flying away from all these other threats. But in this episode, he flies right toward this hub of prior connections and prior history. He clearly has some kind of past with these people when he initially meets Ran and they talk about Mando making connections with uh, sending messages to Ren, Ren being like, I was surprised when I saw you pop up. I heard there was some uh, trouble with you in the guild. Yada, yada, yada. I have a mission for you. Uh, You know, I have a guy who's under arrest. And then when Mando gets the details of the job, he realizes, oh, wait, he says, quote, your man wasn't taken by a rival syndicate. He was arrested. In other words, this is not an imprisonment, some extra legal imprisonment. This is the galactic government that has labeled your man a actual criminal. And that rival syndicate language tells us that this is more than just a kind of like your run-of-the-mill kind of mercenary adventure-for-hire group. This is a criminal group. Yes, and then we get lines like, Ran, played by Mark Boone, saying, since Mando left our group, and phrasing like that is deliberate. He wasn't just with them for one job. He was with their group in a fundamental way, a real way, a way that left all of these lasting impressions between them. So was he a criminal? Like, there's a difference between being a bounty hunter and a criminal. And this episode, we're going to get to in a few minutes, all of the hints and comments about his very violent past and maybe a former, like, lust for violence. Mm -hmm. But what kinds of things was he doing? You know, the fact that instead of having some sort of break bad show, we're heading into a break good show has obviously been the case since episode one. But by the nature of that premise, it is implied that we have a lot more to learn about the bad things that he's done in the past and exchanges like this really reinforce that. And then you have to wonder, to your point about the covert, like, how does this all function together, you know? You're a bounty hunter, you're out for one job, you bring your money back, you give it to the members of your covert to help sustain that life. What if you're in a crime syndicate? How does that work? People are cool with that? Given Mandalore's history with crime syndicates and uprisings and terrorist groups, and obviously we're not saying this particular RAN setup is a terrorist group, but 
it would seem like, given the state of the Mandalorian people now, yes, they would really need to know what you were up to and who you were associating with and whether that was going to put heat on them and be a threat to them. And I'm curious to know, like, what was the time frame here? Yeah. What did this look like? Was it sanctioned or was he out on his own for a while? I find myself really wondering But then you get to this is well. the way. How do you— And knowing he hasn't taken his helmet off. After doing this kind of work, which is clearly extra legal work— how does that affect your ability to enter into the guild? Is there an issue with that right. to becoming someone who hunts people who were involved in the activities that you were so recently involved in? How does that work? I would love yeah. to know more about yeah. how long he ran with these people because right. clearly it was long enough that at least Xi'an knows about his droid phobia. Yes. And Quinn, they both mention yes. that. Clearly, they have a sense of who he is. Yes, that, and that's a big, big thing. Big part of his life. Big part of his life. That would be a big thing to know about him. And yet, because we know that he hasn't taken the helmet off around other people since he was a kid, based on his exchange with Omera in Chapter 4, he maintained yeah. the this-is-the-way adherence throughout all of this, which is fascinating to think about. So It's also, it, I found myself kind of like bumping on, he's got the brand new... Mm-hmm shiny Beskar armor. Draws the eye once again as he walks into the station in the first How, place. They all basically look the same unless you have the signet. Mm-hmm. How is it that Xi'an is like, oh, it's Bando? Well, so I think that the answer in this particular case word is because... Spread. because it, yeah. Word spread, as Mando has said and other people have yeah. said too, and the armorer said, you know, the, the armor will, yeah. will draw the eye. I think in this case, it's ultimately because the whole thing was a a ploy against him and they were going to turn on him so they knew that he was going to be the one arriving. But in general, something like Fennec, like someone he doesn't have history with, being able to identify, oh, that's the guy that everyone's talking about, just reinforces, I think, that given maybe the shrinking numbers of Mandalorians out in the world now, this suit of Beskar armor is uncommon, even though it's the thing most associated with that. It's like a Burberry coat. I have a friend who has a Burberry (laughs) coat. Or a friend who has a brother who has one. It's like a $2,000 raincoat. Yeah. I'm like, man. Is it Emma Watson? No. Yeah. I'm like, man, yeah. I couldn't walk around with a coat that I feel like people would rob me for. That must be so uncomfortable for Mando to walk around yeah. in this thing that everybody, you walk Makes into. Your target. You walk into a place, everybody's like, I wonder if I could take that off of them. Yeah. We've had this conversation about the Serena off-white blazers. Yeah. You know? Could, would you would be you scared? Feel I would not. Let's find out. <laughs> So, again, lines like Rand saying, man, we did some crazy stuff, didn't yeah. we? That was a long time ago. There's such a depth of history there. Just like the good old days is a line you hear multiple times from multiple characters. And when Xi'an says, the good news for you is the ship is manned by droids, still hate the machines, Mando. Again, that taps into this sense of actual understanding of who a person is fundamentally. So then you shift from the fact that those people, Xi'an and Rand, know him to the fact that some of these people are completely new to him, new characters. Mayfeld. Number one, his shoulder gone, decked out in weapons. Very funny. We're going to get into some of his jokes in the aid and how they tap into uh, fan laments in Star Wars. This exchange, he's one of the best triggermen I've ever seen. Former Imperial sharpshooter, that's what Rand says. And Mando coming back with, that's not saying much. (laughs) That's pretty great. And then Mayfeld saying, I wasn't a stormtrooper wise ass. It's just iconic. I also really enjoyed the later... Are you questioning my managerial style? <laughs> she had, which is just iconic. Berg, new to him as well. He's our muscle. Deveranian, fireproof, super strong. 
basically seems close to invincible as his horns take some damage. He finds Mando's armory on the ship. You know, he's not a total dummy, even though he's the muscle. But he's responsible for an actually crucial exchange in the episode. When Berg says, someone tell me why we even need a Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Mayfeld says, well, apparently they're the greatest warriors in the galaxy. So they say. And then Berg replies, then why are they all dead? So we've had questions about yeah. the extent of the Great Purge, what the Great Purge was, what it looked like. Is this history and the state of the Mandalorian people widely known? A line like that indicates that the answer is It's widely yes. known. Widely known. I don't think Berg is out there, like, cracking the history books. That's a thing that I, I just can't wait to learn more about it. It seems like it is quite possible that the covert is potentially all it, there is left. Could it be it? it the foundlings are the future. Uh, then there's uh, Zero... The droid, voiced by Richard Ayoade, um, Q9, is uh, zero. zero, is also new to him. He checks the ship's functions, finds the kind of like uh-huh. fractured remnants of Karga's hologram message, cleans it and up, is is kind of finds that interesting enough to kind of keep pursuing and keep yes. coming back to. And also, while he's doing uh, checkups on the ship. We figured out that Pelly <laughs> did not do that great a fucking job. 67% yeah, or something it's around there, a percent efficiency for the hyperdrive. It's Leaks rough. everywhere. And fucking Mando gives yeah. her the entire I know. purse I know. that he took off Toro. My take on this is... Pay her, what, pay her the <laughs> price. You need money. Why are you just giving her the entire purse? The you need money part is a very valid point. I will just say this. I blame Mando, not Pelly, because he didn't let her use the pit droids. I let her use the droids. Surely that they would have led to a better final droids. product. Yes, she had on. to fix an entire fucking gunship by herself yes. while also babysitting your fucking kid, Mando. Come on, dude. It's a lot. being taken hostage because of you, yeah. Mando. You tr- why don't you try it? I think she earned the money because of her services in the LBY I, department. I, she clearly earned it. All I'm saying is the <laughs> fact that she was shocked at the amount yes. tells you that he overpaid. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's it's very fair. We also, well before we know for sure that this group of mercenaries is going to turn on Mando and that things are going to, you know, go south, we can tell that it's setting can, up for Mando can, and Zero in particular yeah. to have a problem. A, again, Mando hates droids, but B, we get a warning from Ran. Forgive the programming. He's a little rough around the edges, but he is the best. And then Mando's response is, how can you trust it? It. Great. Yeah. He tells Mando he's smarter than him. He tells him he's faster than him. He's going to be the one on the assignment flying the ship, Mando's precious ship. Of course, he tries to kill little baby Yoda. <laughs> I'm curious to know what, what was on Zero's mind when he was pursuing baby Yoda. Was he like, I'm going to go cash in this bounty? I, that's fascinating. Like, yeah, we, we we really don't have a lot of idea about how much information specifically he gleaned from the Karga message. Perhaps Karga is known to him as a, as a guild captain uh-huh. in that area, but certainly was able to ascertain that Mando was perhaps in possession of something valuable and yes. maybe that was it. Why kill the child is a, like... I guess because that's... That's just what they his do. His programming, his... And me, yeah, I don't know. That was rough. Through conversations with Ren and Xi'an, we get an idea that Mando's past has been particularly bloody, which is really saying yes. something considering the things that people in this galaxy are used to. 
Rand says to him, we were all young trying to make a name for ourselves. Yeah, but running with the Mandalorian, that was that brought us some reputation. Oh, yeah? What did he get out of it? Mayfeld says. I asked him that one time. You remember what you said, Mando? Target practice. So we get Yikes. this idea now that Mando was pretty ready to kill people, yes. which is surprising considering the outcome for this group of mercenaries at the end of this episode. Yes. Uh, Shion says regarding a past mission that they were on together on Alsoc 3, more on Alsoc 3 later, I did what I had to do, he says to her. And she says, oh, you liked it. See, I know who you really are. So now we get this uh-huh. intimation that Mando— That he likes the violence. He likes the violence. He, he, he seeks it out. Yes. He goes for the most violent option, or at least at one point in his life— was perhaps working out some of the rage that he has inside of him by seeking out violent confrontations. Here's what I love about this. This, to me, presents the potential, at least, for some sort of Sandra Clegane hound-like arc for Mando. Right. Should we be fortunate right. enough to learn more about his past? Frank Miller era Wolverine when it's, you know, like the samurai arc where he has the regret for being this kind of like murderous yes. super weapon that he was. Childhood trauma. Yeah. A life of violence. Mm-hmm. And then this fierce childlike wonder, Baby Yoda, Arya, who comes in and Changing you fundamentally would not be right because that's not how life is, but unlocks for you some different possibility about how to conduct your affairs. There's an instinctive selflessness that comes out. Of wanting to protect someone else. Of wanting to protect someone else. And when a person has been purely selfish for a significant period of time, even those small shifts can bring something really interesting out of a person. And we know that Mando— was not purely selfish in the sense that we see him hand over his earnings, and we know that he is working for the good of the foundlings and the future of the tribe. Again, we know that he follows the way, which the difference between a total rogue who just has a personal code and somebody who is following the creed of a group and an organization indicates the pre-existing presence of connections to other people. But clearly, this is something different for him. And, you know, when it comes to those lines about his past with violence. And obviously, again, like, we understand that he's a bounty hunter and that he's been unbelievably violent in every episode. He just, his first move is to try to burn people alive. He goes to the, he's immediately going to the flamethrower quite often. It's not like he's ditched the violent tendencies, (laughs) but there are these subtle shifts and the comments like that are really in stark contrast to the way that he behaves in this very episode. Like, look at Davin. They think there are not going to be any humans, any organics on this ship. They're told it's droids only. And Mando is upset by finding out that there's a person there who might come to harm because he doesn't want to harm a person who doesn't have any stake in this, any reason to be harmed. And even the people who do have a reason to be harmed, who have turned on him, he imprisoned him. He ultimately does not kill them when he should, could. Mayfeld, Berg, and Shion all end up in a cell. That's how the episode ends, with us seeing them in this cell. He's not exactly kind with them. You know, the fights with all of them are quite violent. Especially I mean, with he, Berg. I mean, it's just a brutal, all-out brawl. He is in a knife battle with Xi'an, and God knows what he did to Mayfeld when the camera cut away from that scene. Berg, by the way, before he shuts him in the door, I mean, he puts a cord around his neck and is trying to strangle him. Maybe that's because he knows that he's nearly indestructible yeah. and that that wouldn't kill him. It's not 
totally clear. But then we think about that line from Shion about how Mando's code is maybe making him soft. And it's fun to think about yeah. how Baby Yoda is affecting him in that way. That, that moment, too, where we talked about it before, where she says, didn't picture you for the type. Yes, and then— Clearly softening in some way. Totally. And then when when he has this exchange with Quinn, and Quinn is convincing him not to kill him, to take him back, to cash in for completing the job, he says, you were hired to do a job, right? Do it. Isn't that your code? Aren't you a man of honor? And now in this case— Mando puts a tracking beacon on him, leading the X-Wings there. And, you know, we don't see Rand die at the end. He's not visible in that shot. And he had attempted to uh, run before that. So presumably he got away. But it appears that Quinn is caught in the blasts and perishes. So Mando at least was satisfied with that death, given that Quinn seems to be one of the driving agents behind all of this. But what else do we learn? We learn that it's possible that our good friend Mando here is not the space virgin that one would potentially be if they literally never take off their armor. My takeaway from this episode was 100% Mando fucks. Mando fucks with his helmet on, though. Mando fucks with his helmet on, which is weird. A choice. It's a, I guess, like, you gotta really want it if you're like, fine, you can leave the helmet on. He, you gotta no. <laughs> really be hurting for it if you're like, fine, wear the fucking helmet, I guess. Maybe he what, what just I, makes everybody turn the lights out, and so it's really dark and you can't see his face. But he does seem very strict about the helmet thing. He does imagine, seem very strict. Imagine, like, the sound of, like, metal hitting wood as the head bo- <laughs> as his head, like, pounds into the headboard. <laughs> I mean, I am imagining it right now. I also, you know, you're gonna you're gonna talk about the Twi'leks and the Jedi Temple today, and yeah. so I'll save most of the discussion of their physiology and biology for then. But I I will say that our good friend Osha, our good friend Tonks, our good friend Shion, there was a lot of acting with the mouth oh, yeah. in this episode. You know, a lot of tongue action, a lot of lip action. You can't help but look, and so of course you're noticing that the sharp teeth, you know, the the vampire like fangs. I found myself wondering mm-hmm. about our darling boy, Mando. Is he okay? Is he okay if this is his sexual partner and those are her teeth? I'm just I, asking the question. Well, as, as we will find out in the Jedi Temple, the Twi'leks are uncommonly coordinated. Good. I hope that she knows Jesus. what she's doing. It's- we certainly get from their interactions the feeling that there was something romantic between them at one time. Shion says when they first are reconnecting on Rand's space station. Tell me why I shouldn't cut you down where you stand. Amanda says, nice to see you too. I missed you. This is shiny. You wear it well. So this kind of like flirtation, but with an edge. It's very, very, very apparent. So apparent that Mayfeld, who I wouldn't necessarily consider a scholar in the art of love, right away watching this says, do we need to leave the room Yeah, that, that, tell, that tells you something about what people are yes. picking up here. And then Rand says, well, Jian's been a little heartbroken since Mando left our group. So did something happen? Was she spurned? Yes. Well, this or- next line from her, I'm all business now, learned from the best, is very tough. Yeah, Clearly that is- pissed that he was like, I'm focused on my job. I don't have time for a relationship right now. It's not you, it's me. And then on the, sh- on the Razor Crest, on the way to the mission, Mayfeld asks her, so did you ever see him with his helmet off? And she says, a lady never tells. I love It's amazing. Really kind of like Cheshire cat kind of grin on her face. Very interesting. The helmet, of course, Big topic. Um, becomes a huge point of interest for the other people on this mission. Yeah, so much again, of the helmet is like. They're building up to it. To it's the reveal. Like, 
clearly people know about Mandalorians. And one of the things people know about Mandalorians is they don't want to take their helmets off an outside company. But this is new, though. Again, as we've talked about so many times, this shouldn't be a thing that people know. It seems to be a point of contention. You would wonder, like, then why they focus on it quite clearly. Mayfeld asks. He never takes off the helmet. And Gian mockingly, this is the way. Mayfeld's, hmm, I wonder what she look like under there. Maybe he's a Gungan. Is that why you said don't want to show your face? Getting a, a nice laugh out of everybody Good at the stuff. expense of Jar Jar Binks. Great stuff. Good old Jar Jar. The whole mission, of course, with Rand's team appears to have been a ruse from the start to trap Mando. So when we get lines like, you know the policy, no questions, and you know me, Mando, I don't trust anybody, all of that is setting up for this betrayal, this twist. So much other evidence, though, if you go back and rewatch it from the start, you can see that this is where it was heading. You know, insisting on using the Razor Crest for the mission, not letting him pilot it. As we talk about a lot, flight equals control. Mando is not in control if he is not on the wheel of his ship. The crest is the only reason I let you back in here, Rand says. And a very, very, very quick aside before we get back to the other supporting evidence that this was the plan the whole time. Did we know the Razor Crest could do all this shit? I bumped a lot on this. On third watch, I think what's going on is that the Razor Crest is so old yes. that it's not able to be tracked in the same way that more modern ships that were built either during the Imperial or New Republic era or Republican era can be. Yes. Because it's just not on registries or what have you. Right. So Rand says the Razor Crest is off the old Imperial and the New Republic grid. It's a ghost. It seems like Mando basically just didn't register the ship because this was a thing for the Galactic Empire, registering your vessels. But— You got to go to the Galactic DMV. It's a (laughs) whole thing. Imagine Mando at the DMV. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sir, you have to take the helmet off for your license photo. Those are the rules. Number (laughs) 2,335,675. Amazing. But then, I think you're, you're right, but here's the thing. Yeah. Then you had other lines like Mando saying when they're talking about the plan, the need to you know access at this point, going this way, yeah. scramble this code. It's not possible even for the crest and things like that. And again, maybe that does just mean basically old enough tech that it suddenly right. is is new in a sense. But it, it kind of makes it sound like the ship is a marvel in some way, and we see its ability to hack into the systems, to scramble the source code, et cetera, et cetera. I, that was surprising to me, and again, just makes it even more baffling that if it is actually this useful of a tool, Mando's constantly I, just leaving it unattended and That's unlocked. a great point. Like, he's way too reckless way too with reckless. the security of this Crazy. ship. And listen, putting aside the fact that it quite possibly is a unique asset for people in this line of work because of its age— mm-hmm. It's the only ship he has. Mm -hmm. Can we treat it with a little bit more care than we've been treating it? And he was devastated when it was nearly destroyed on Arvala 7 by the the Jawas. And now he's just so cavalier again. More more evidence for the ruse. And that, yeah, that brings us to some, at least hints that this was a plot from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Rand says to him, after the reveal that, listen, uh, we're going to have to use your personal ship for this mission— he says, well, the crest is the only reason I let you back in here. A clear indication that something went wrong between yes. them. And also— but They'd have reason to seek revenge. And also the, the way he said the crest. 
I got these hints, Millennium Falcon type of hints. It's a junky ship. It's mm-hmm. old. You look at it. It doesn't look like much, but it has, has a, reputation. a certain kind of reputation amongst the, should we say, like more the gritty members of yeah, galactic the society. The scoundrels. And again, like visual signifiers, like the hatch being that yeah. exact same spiral shape, making you think of the Falcon again. And sure enough, we learn two things. One, Mando broke up with Gian, and Mando is viewed by Quinn as the person who left him behind on a mission and perhaps yes. led to the current state that he's in right, right Again, now. we don't know how much time has right. passed. It's hard Presumably to tell. quite a bit since he was—I mean, it almost—they almost can't be directly connected in the sense that he's right. in a new Republic vessel and Mando right. has not been with these people for a while. But God knows what events connected or are unconnected in between led them there still. He's— He's pissed. They're both pissed, and they're siblings. We learn when Quinn comes out of In the, in the George cell, R. R. Martin yes, sense they're siblings of being siblings. Who definitely fuck. A hundred percent siblings who fuck. Quinn says, "Funny, the man who left me behind is now my savior." Lot of indicators here yeah. that Quinn is the one. Maybe ran on his behalf, but Quinn and Shion are the ones who want Mando to pay for this. And then you have to wonder, are they just doing this on their own because it's always been the plan? Like, hey, if Mando ever comes back into our lives and we get the chance to get our retribution, we will. And then he was foolish enough to reach out to Rand, somebody who's mad at him and asked for help and all of this came together. Or given Rand's comments about the events of Navarro, the Guild, could they be working with somebody? You don't know. It's an interesting question the only thing that muddies it for me is Zero's reaction to the cargo message. Yeah. You would have to, it's possible that he wasn't briefed mm-hmm. and that Ran is just like running his- Like 3PO in Jabba's palace yeah, doesn't know the whole plan? Ran is out here spinning his own web and not right. really telling his underlings. That's quite possible. But it does seem like from the very first, he was trying to lure Mando back. There's the way that- Shion and Mayfeld are whispering to each That's, other right that before was very they telling. jump through the hatch of the Razor Crest. Like, yeah, yeah. Berg looking at them. When they actually get into the prison, Mando says, I don't like this. And Shion says, you were always paranoid. That's like a real trust your gut reminder, hopefully, in the future for Mando. There's the, uh, they're all pinned down by those four guard droids. Uh-huh. And at the very first, it's like, uh, they're urging him to get into the action. Hey, we hired you on. We heard you're the best. Like, do something about this. We're pinned down. He gets in there. And he immediately gets among the droids and is taking them down. But he does take a few shots to his armor. Oh, yeah. And there are moments when it seems like the rest of the team can jump in. And they choose and they, not to. And they quite- Mayfeld stops Yes, quite pointedly restrains her from getting it. Like, almost like, well, maybe if he gets killed right now. Yeah, let's see if maybe they take him out right here or maybe he takes them out, but it's kind of a win win either way. Worst case, you're scouting him. You're getting a look at his moves. You're getting to see what he can do. Great point. Then when they kick him in the cell, more evidence, of course. I mean, at that point, we know that they have turned on him, but there's more evidence that it wasn't just a spur of the moment thing, that it was actually. It was not a result of passion. It was it was the plan. When when Shion says, I told you we should have ended him. This is your fault. This is after Mando's yeah. escaped. Again, clearly indicating that they've discussed how they were going to handle him, how they were going to deal with him. Things like Quinn saying to Mayfeld, after the prison <laughs> is in lockdown, whatever Ram promised, I'll see to it you get triple share. Just get him. Like, the primary objective here is eliminating Mando yes. in some way. I have a quick question for you. 
about timing. I would love to hear it because I also want to talk about this timing. So, Davin's killed. The tracking beacon activates. Yes. It calls, 20 minutes. Yes. Calls New Republic forces. We're on the clock. Minutes. When Mando's kicked into his cell, yep. and I, I hate all the violence against the droids, but I will say the way he gets out of that cell is really cool. It is like, really cool. Using his little grappling hook to bring the droid to him, ripping the arm off. The droid kind of, his oils leak out, yeah. like almost like blood. Again, yeah. very violent episode. I do have to ask two things here. One, why are you building a prison with locks on the inside it seems, of the door? It seems like something you shouldn't do. Who, who thought of that? I mean, this is... I mean, again, you know, this like... This is insane. Government spending, the waste is, is ridiculous. <laughs> this is just ridiculous. Like a lock inside of a prison it's, cell. It's Ministry of Magic level <laughs> incompetence. Did oversee this project? <laughs> Good Lord. And then the other question is about the time, because when Mando breaks out, yes. using, again, the very conveniently placed lock inside of his jail cell, <laughs> we hear Zero say to the other members of the team ten that minutes. there are 10 minutes, ten minutes left. Okay. So here's what happens yes. in that time. I, I can't wait to talk about this. He fights all of them. In turn, one at a time. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Sorry. Before he even fights them, he right. goes to the control to room the control and room. shuts all the doors, yes. separates them smart. Fights Great all move. of them. Now, right. Then, in turn, we don't see travel, this part, right. but in turn, hunts them. Yeah. We see that, but then we don't see him put them away, but we know he does. So he either knocks them unconscious. Has to. Right? Has to. Let's has okay. to. So let's say he knocks them unconscious. Now because he's got to. Otherwise, they're conscious when he's yes. opening the jail cell. Now door. he's got to drag them to the cell. Yes. One by one. A berg is heavy. And Berg is at, I need to see he this. A I need to see this on a timer. Because then, this is tight timing. He still has to go have an entire conversation with Quinn. Right. They haggle. They go back and forth. They land on their arrangement. They leave. We don't know that Mando has the tracking beacon on him, but he right. does. Now, basically the only explanation is that the tracking beacon in some way, the timing of it resets when they move. Right. Now, hyperspace travel is fast. They still have to travel. Right. They still have to go back to Rand's station, at which point very leisurely conversation ensues when yes. Mando knows that there is a basically an unpinned grenade in Quinn's hand. That scene gives rise to further questions. <laughs> if indeed Rand always planned to betray Mando by launching a gunship to shoot him out of space <laughs> the second he flew away, why did he hand him a bag of credits? I, that is a fabulous question. Did did Mando check? Maybe he's going to open that and find that that's Mando, counterfeit. Uh, Mando, we, oh, as we know, nothing. is very loose with the cash. <laughs> but it is a great point. And yes, they had to be. We can assume that Berg was knocked out. It seemed from the way that it went down with Mayfeld that maybe he choked him out. Right. The thing with Xi'an is like he ends up with his knife against her throat. and uh, I, I, But they have to be knocked out because what are you going to do? Like open the cell and hope they don't rush right. you? Just when you stand still. <laughs> it's very confusing. Very confusing. But it's very, again, 10 minutes to do all that. Knowing that the, the New Republic forces are coming. They're coming. To attack because they know a tracking beacon, a distress signal has been activated. And you're just like, and he's like, metal hey, I did my job. He's like Metal Gear Solid Snake shoulder carrying these like unconscious people to this cell. That part is wild, but I am, I'm really hung up on the leisurely exchange. Just very with Rand. calm. Like, 
So I did the job. Oh, you, where, you're, I know you're asking me questions, but I thought we were like, you know, no questions asked was kind of the whole thing. Here's my time card. But that, you that, have me feedback on my performance. That, another thing. They're coming. Here's, a, here's, no. a, here's another moving part of that. Yeah. Rather than just take the beacon, get on the space station, then just kind of fling it, right? Just, yeah. just take it out of your pocket and fling it like across the deck so it like goes under right. something. He answered to Quinn, who could have yeah. thrown just. He, he, pickpockets Quinn and like slips it into his belt or something. I love that. Why go through all that trouble? <laughs> just like drop it on the ground. It's a great question. Why are you like pickpocketing the guy? Also, it's like beeping. <laughs> yeah. And you're just going to like slip a beeping device into somebody's belt I mean, I think and hope that they don't find it before they leave the ship? I, my main takeaway from the entire episode is I'm not surprised Quinn got arrested. Like, not at all. Kind of a moron. What, what is this thing beeping that I have? <laughs> do you think that Ran is alive? Because Mayfeld, we know, is coming back into the show. Well, right. we don't know, but he's in the trailer in another shot, the right. trailer for the season. And, and certainly all of, and everybody that lived, it, yeah. it feels like we're going to see them again. That was a motley crew and and very colorful. I like them. that part. I Even though we were, you know, lamenting earlier the number of characters who have been introduced and have then not returned, this in particular, had kind of an Oliver Queen depositing yes. his latest haul at the yes. Argus prison, right. and you know they're going to come back into play in some way. Like I, I actually like building up the store of villains I, and foes for the future. I 100% agree. I, I feel like, I don't know, I think Rand not being visible in the shot means he's alive. Quinn, I think, is toast. Jason? Yeah! Speaking of Quinn. Yeah. Speaking of Sheehan, that crazy twee. I had it under control. Okay. But if you insist on intervening, Please gather the Padawan learners, head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about Twi'leks. Ah, Twi'leks. If we organize Star Wars alien species by tiers, according to recognizability and popularity, Twi'leks would be firmly, in my opinion, tier two, right? They don't have the name recognition of Wookiees, and they're certainly not as iconic as whatever the species Yoda and little baby Yoda belong to. But they are a ubiquitous presence in Star Wars. Hailing from the outer rim world of Ryloth, Twi'leks are a human-like race most notable for their leku, or head tails, long prehensile appendages sprouting from the crown of the skull. I love a long prehensile appendage. It's wonderful. The more to... The more to grasp you with. Most Twi'leks have two leku, and the name of the species actually comes from twin leku. But very rarely, some, such as Senator Orn Frita from the Clone Wars and Imperial Era Senate, have been known to have four. Twi'leks can have a variety of skin colors, blue, green, pink, orange, white, yellow, and more. They have, uh, as you noted, very interesting teeth, usually blunt. The males sometimes sharpen them. Be careful out there. Some notable Twi'leks include the wonderful Harrison Dula, captain of the Ghost and later a general in the Rebel Alliance. Delightful. Bib Fortuna, butler to Jabba the Hutt. Fuck this guy. And Ayla Sakura, the blue-skinned Jedi who gets gunned down during the Order 66 montage in Revenge of the Sith. Tough way to go. The recent galactic civil wars have been costly for Ryloth. The system weathered several attempted coup d'etats in the run-up to the Clone Wars as Count Dooku secretly backed attempted takeovers at the behest of Sheev Palpatine. Ryloth remained nominally in the Republic during the Separatist crisis. However, its Senator Ornfried Ta, a senior leader in the galactic governing body and an ally of Senator Sheev Palpatine, was a absolutely notorious scumbag, avaricious, 
sex-obsessed, and corrupt. When the Clone Wars erupted, Ryloth was promptly invaded and occupied by the Confederacy of Independent Systems. To oppose them, Cham Sindula, Hera's father and an outspoken critic of Orn Frita, formed the group Twi'lek Resistance with the help of the Jedi, Anakin, Ashoka, Obi-Wan, and Mace Windu in particular, and Republican clone troops, Twi'lek Resistance managed to expel the Separatist droid army from Ryloth. However, there would be little time to celebrate freedom. At the close of the Clone Wars, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine triggered Order 66. Jedi were wiped out. The Republic became the Empire. Chancellor Palpatine became Emperor Palpatine. And Ryloth was annexed and occupied once again, this time by Imperial troops. But the good guys were evolving too. Twi'lek Resistance became the Free Ryloth Movement. And Sham Syndulla eventually rose to become its leader. Without the backing of the Jedi and the Republic, however, Cham was forced to embrace guerrilla tactics. The FLM fought very bravely, very courageously, but to little real effect, Imperial forces would remain on Ryloth until five after Battle of Yavin, or about a year or so after the crushing defeat at the Battle of Endor. The planet would remain independent during the New Republic era. Twi'leki, the Twi'lek language, uses a combination of spoken sounds and gestures and body positions to convey meaning. Twi'leks can actually twist and touch the tips of their leku and move them around to communicate non-verbally. Though, of course, as we've seen with Twi'lek anatomy, allows their vocal cords to speak basic and many other languages, such as Hatties. Twi'leks are considered beautiful. And as Xi'an's dagger balancing and pinpoint aim show, uncommonly coordinated and graceful. Unfortunately, Ryloth is a relatively poor planet, and since Twi'lek physical beauty is so prized and the patriarchy is very real, even in space, many Twi'lek females, as we saw in Jabba's wretched palace, have found themselves held in slavery as dancers and consorts. Despite the troubles that have befell their planet and their people, Twi'leks have risen to great prominence and acclaim in the galaxy. Look no further than Hera Syndulla, daughter of Cham, as a member of and captain for the marauding proto-rebellion cell, the Spectres. Hera played an integral role in organizing what would eventually become the Rebel Alliance's military arm. She was present at the Battle of Scarif. When the Rebel fleet was founded, Hera was given command of a battle group and rose to the rank of general. She survived the Imperial surprise attack on Makwata, which was led by Darth Vader himself. And after the final defeat of the Empire, she continued to serve as a general for the New Republic. She's dope. She's dope. Twi'leks, they have head tails. Not to be confused with Tagrudas, which is the species that uh, Sokotano belongs to. And their head tails look more like a mane, mm. I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Mal, mm. what's the look? Is that gratitude? No, it's crippling fatigue. I think it is. And I'm grateful and cripplingly fatigued <laughs> as well. Grateful for all the nuggets, that is. Let's roll like BB-838 of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning Razzle, you go first. Number one. Yes. In an episode rich with guest stars and cameos. Rich. One deserves special attention. Matt Lanter, who appeared as the nervous fleet trooper helmeted security guard Davin. R.I.P. Davin! On <laughs> the Republic prison transport. Davin, shoot. If they invade the ship, shoot first and ask questions later. Why are you, like, pointing the gun at them? Shoot. He was very nervous. Pull the fucking trigger, Davin. He was very nervous. Tough way to go. And Matt Lanner is making his live-action Star Wars debut here. But he is an absolutely elemental member of the Star Wars family because he is the voice of Anakin Skywalker 
in Clone Wars and fucking huge Rebels. He is, in our minds, really the best Anakin yep. that we've gotten. He's the actor who showed the depths of Anakin's humanity, helped us better understand Anakin as a leader, as a friend, showed us what the Jedi Order actually meant to Anakin, brought him to life in so many ways. And it was really a delight to see him pop up in the flesh here, however briefly. Meanwhile, Clancy Brown, who played Berg, is also no stranger to the Star Wars voice work universe either, having voiced Savage Opress, Maul's mm-hmm. brother, in Clone Wars, and writer Azadi in Rebels. Another tremendously cool cameo moment in this episode came in a cluster here at the end when the three pilots of the New Republic X-Wings summoned by the tracking beacon arrived to blast Rand's base. They are played by three Mandalorian season one directors. Deborah Chow. Hello. From episodes three and seven, who here plays Sash Ketter. Dave Filoni. Hello. Director from episodes one and five, who is, of course, also a producer on the show and writer on the show and a king of Star Wars TV, as we've <laughs> talked about many times, plays Trapper Wolf. I love it. Iconic. <laughs> and Rick Famuyiwa, who directed this episode and also episode two, is the third pilot, plays Jib Dodger. Get Bryce Dallas Howard and Tico Atini in gunships immediately. Get him in. Both of them have Star Wars names already, actually. <laughs> Number two, speaking of cameos and guest stars with her role in this week's episode, Natalia Tena has now played characters in the binge mode. Holy Trinity, people. Great look for our gal. She's got the EGOT of binge mode. <laughs> Osha in Game of Thrones. Love Osha. Tonks in Harry Potter. Fucking love Tonks. Amazing. And Shion in Star Wars. Ooh, that's a big trifecta. That's a big, that's a big man. Shion's <laughs> blood if I'm the queen. I would have loved to see her say that to Berg. That's a big man. <laughs> or if Mando just like pops his huge dick out of his <laughs> fucking armor. <laughs> this puts her in incredibly rare company. Yes. One other person who's done it. How about Julian Glover? Yes. Our great friend, Grand Meister Pycelle in Thrones. The thing about binge mode. <laughs> Who also voices Aragog in Harry Potter. Amazing. And plays General Veers Ooh. in Star Wars. Amazing. You may begin your landing. <laughs> They're joined by Ralph Innocent, who plays Dagmar Cleftraw in Thrones, Amicus Caro in Harry Potter, and Ansiv Garmuth in Star Wars. There's Some also rough company there. Ian White, the 7-1 actor and stuntman who played 1-1 in Game of Thrones, played Madame Maxine in Full Body Shots in Harry Potter, and has played various creatures in Star Wars. And while we're speaking of iconic franchises, we have to note that Ishmael Cruz Cardova, who plays Quinn, and as our bud Joanna Robinson noted on Still Watching, also played a character on Sesame Street named Mando. Wonderful. Number three, Bill Burr. Billy Burr. Of course. Continues the tradition of comedians appearing in The Mandalorian, but that's not actually the most interesting part about his casting. In 2015 on Conan, Burr made us some waves in the Star Wars community, some Camino-esque waves, by saying basically he hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, somehow I missed that movie when it came out, Burr said when Conan asked him if he was into Star Wars as a kid. And Burr added that he finally caught up on all of it, what all the other kids were buzzing about later in life. And when he did, he never got the appeal. Quote, 
by the time then I was too old and I was like, this is like a cheesy self-help book, but in outer space with like Muppets. (laughs) Some other gems from his interview. Quote, I wanted to drive by that line that they're all standing in. Like, why does it matter? Why is this important? It was thus a delight to not only see Burr in Star Wars, but to see him responsible for some jokes anchored in decades of Star Wars history, including the aforementioned Stormtrooper Shade, plus a nice little Last Jedi nod with his looks-like-a-canto-bite slot machine line. More on that in a second. And even a Gungan impression. I wonder what you look like under there. Maybe he's a Gungan. Is that why you so don't want to show your face? Imagine going from... Shitting on Star Wars to getting paid to remind people of Jar Jar Binks. Incredible. Maybe the galaxy is not that big after all. Speaking of Canto Bite, we got our first look at this casino city in The Last Jedi located on the coast of the desert planet Cantonica. It's kind of like a combination Las Vegas and Monaco, providing a more upscaled and refined gambling experience as contrasted with what might await you at a place like uh, Moss Espa. <laughs> Canto Bite attracted the kind of rich elite criminal that is basically indistinguishable from, like, the super wealthy arms dealers, war profiteers, super hackers. In The Last Jedi, Finn, Rose, and BB-8 traveled to the city in order to make contact with an associate of Moss Kanata, who she definitely fucked. 100%. A nice use of the word associate there. <laughs> a code breaker able to dick down Maz Kanata <laughs> effectively. Cantobite's architecture was inspired by Dubrovnik, Croatia on the Adriatic coast. Oh, wow. And Gross. you know Dubrovnik yeah. because that is the shooting location Amazing. of King's Landing in Game of Thrones. Don't tell Danny. Hello. Too soon? It's, unfortunately, it's too It'll soon. It'll always be too soon. Just I'll never be ready. Don't ring the bells. Don't ring them. Number five. Alzac three. When Shion says, ask him about the job on Alzok 3, we get a sense that Mando did something there that he regrets. But where is that? What is it? Well, in Legends, it's the third world in the Outer Rim system of the same name, and it is positively Hothian in terms of its weather. Frozen. Better bring some Tauntaun guts with you if you're heading that way. How cold are we talking? Well, there's a place there called the Valley of Blizzards. Not what you want. And sometimes the sunlight can reflect off the frozen lakes and land so forcefully that it burns the retina. Damn. Of the onlookers. Damn. Extremely tough stuff. While the sun and the snow are fierce, the moon is absent, making night a terrifying, all-encompassing darkness. The Talls inhabited the planet, and snow slugs made their home there, apt considering the planet was under hut control during Jabba's reign. The planet also saw action during the Clone Wars, including from bounty hunters and assassins who would be right at home in an episode of The Mandalorian, Cad Bane, and Ventress. Sadly, the planet is yet the latest Mandalorian reference to a people or a place that was defined by slavery, as the Empire sent Alzok III's inhabitants to extract valuable resources, including ore and decorative pearls, from the planet's mines. When the New Republic discovered the planet's existence, and it was so off the grid that the existence had to be discovered, the Talls took over control of their minds and of their way of life again and began to develop relationships and commerce exchanges with other planets. As Mando and the crew make their way through the ship, we get glimpses of other prisoners being held in the cells there. First, there is an Ardenian. The four-armed kind of monkey-like creature uses all four of their arms to climb up in the door. 
our first introduction to Ardenians in the Star Wars universe was in Solo, a Star Wars story, and the character Rio, voiced by none other than John Favreau, a, one of the showrunners of this show, and whom Han makes the four arms comment about. Then there's an Imperial officer still in uniform, and there's a creature who astonishes Mayfeld right after the Bill Burr character gives shit to Mando about always being paranoid. It kind of looked like, I don't know how to explain, it looked like sort of humanoid, but with like mm-hmm. bigger ears and a more kind of like sloping kind of brow. He looked to me like the troll that Harry, Ron, and Hermione defeat in the bathroom in Hogwarts. Troll! And- troll! <laughs> Dungeons! Thought you had a new. We do know, however, what species Berg belongs to. Number seven, Daverinians. Berg is not the first member of that species that we've seen in Star Wars. In fact, we met our first Daverinian all the way back when we met Star Wars in A New Hope. That Daverinian was kicking it in a wretched hive of scum and villainy. Most icily. Specifically, naturally, of course, at Chalman's Cantina. Only male Deverinians have horns on their heads, but all members of the species have pointed teeth, black blood, even two livers that make them able to, woo, to process and withstand certain toxins and poisons. And interestingly, they're often Force-sensitive, so much so that the Jedi built a temple on the planet, Deverin. As we see from Berg, they're also nearly indestructible. Unbelievably Apparently strong. Apparently impervious yeah. to fire, immensely, immensely strong. Strong enough to withstand the crushing blow of a metal door. Strong enough to lift and hurl droids. Notable Deverinians in the series include Sicatro Visago, head of Lothal's Broken Horn Syndicate on Star Wars Rebels. Number eight. Speaking of Berg, the scene in which he tries, as we mentioned, unsuccessfully to lure the bashful mouse droid is a reference to the famous moment of comic relief from A New Hope when Chewbacca roars at an earlier MSE-6 repair droid. These droids often saw service in military installations, and as such, they were programmed to self-destruct if captured by the enemy. The perhaps unintended effect of this was to instill in the mouse a remarkably strong instinct, as we saw, for self-preservation. Although they were called repair droids, it's probably more accurate to call them janitor droids. They mostly clean floors, delivered files, and could be programmed for use as guide droids, helping people and troops move from area to area. Quite a helpful tool when you're serving on a battle station the size of a fucking moon. Jason. Yeah. I thought today's winner would be bigger. (laughs) Every episode, we're going to honor the character, rally the troops, advance the cause, and today... The winner of our Medal of Bravery is... Mando. Certainly not the first character in Star Wars to ever be at the wrong end of a I thought you'd be bigger joke. Look, not a perfect episode for me. Not at all. It'd be boring if it was, Continues to take jobs that put Baby Yoda in harm's way and then leaving him with his carousetter of the week. In this case, a ultimately mercenary droid. But... We saw his skills on display. We saw him take out four security droids, taking shots in his armor at the same time. The display awed the mercenaries that he was working with. And he fought three mercenaries and dragged them to his cell and locked them in the cell one at a time in under 10 minutes. Unbelievable efficiency. Unbelievable. Like, I can't wait to see his 40-yard dash right. time. He also showed a lot more than physical skills. Right. He showed heart when he tried to save Davin. Little moments like the look back at LBY's sleeping chambers before he jumps down through the hatch. And he also showed smarts. The decision to hide the tracking beacon on Quinn 
and blow up Rand's base to redirect the New Republic there instead of where they'd just been, ensures his escape despite this plot against him. Plus, before he put Jian in the cell, we got some really strong Mando has had sex. Yeah, this is huge. Vibes. This is big. I'd love for him to have sex again in the show with Omera. You got to take the helmet off, though. Come on, man. It's too weird. <laughs> and crucially, Mando acknowledged to little baby Y that taking the job with Rand's crew was quite simply a bad idea. This is progress. Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Please. Please, Mando. Have better ideas in the future. Dare to dream. dream. <gasps> well, friends, it's a five-person job, but we've got four. Luckily, two of them are Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope you had as much fun as we did today that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder, continue to explore the galaxy with us, and that you'll join us again next time for our deep dive into Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Until then, remember, all we need is the ride, and you brought it. Did he ever take the helmet off, Xi'an? The lady never tells. No, really, did he ever take it off? Well, which one? <laughs>